You're listening to American Timelines. American Timelines. American Timelines by History for Jerks. History for Jerks. The greatest. The greatest. The greatest podcast ever. American Timelines is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Find out more at queencitypodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to episode 80, you fucking idiots. No, we're not starting like that. We're going to do, be nice. We can need a name you be, for- You be nice. We need a name for our fans. You know how like- um, Musketeers? Uh, Ryan Burkett told us that the um, Mariah fans were lambs. And like, we could just uh, call them the Musketeers. Jimmy Buffett fans are- I don't think that's ever been done. Parrot heads. What does Musketeers have to do with anything? It's just a unique name. I don't think it's ever been used. No, we're not muskets. Like, Mouseketeers are for Mickey Mouse. Yeah, that's true. So, American Timelines-a-tears? No. Time, All right. Time heads? Let's start. Time heads. That's stupid. How about time heads? That's stupid. That is really bad. That's like Waxaw's The Haw. Bad. Level bad. Hey, time heads. No, Thanks for listening. we're not doing that. Welcome to another episode. What's up, time heads? Glad to have you here. American Timelines, baby. All right, you ready? History heads, history for jerks. Hey, jerk heads. Hey, jerk asses. Just jerks. Hey, jerks. <laughs> Would be fine. This episode is for you, jerks. All right. Welcome to another episode of American Timelines. I'm Amy. And I'm Mark. <laughs> I'm Mark. Just give it up. I, uh, hi, loves. Carlos Summers here. What? Where I where am to Mark? <laughs> where did Mark go? <laughs> I killed Mark. I'm Carlos Summer, and I am addicted to love. Okay, that's true. You know who lo- Carlos Summer is? Did you ever hear that commercial when you were no. in Toledo? No, no. Um, hold on. We don't need to get into it. This is the podcast. Crusade. I- I'm with the Crusade of Love. Hi, loves. Carlos Summer's here, uh, and I'm with the Crusade of Love. Do you hear that? You know no. There was a thing that was always on TV in Toledo. Who, who it was cares? This old man, and it was just this voice, and it was on this crusade of love. All and right. He, he sounded like it was. Uh, Carlos like Summer here, founder of the Crusade of Love for all of mankind. Our purpose is to move the world to love, and you can help to accomplish this goal for love by thinking, speaking and acting in friendly ways with family, relatives, friends, Sounds associates, like a sex party. and all of our neighbors everywhere. Thank you. That played that, on the it, TV? Yeah, and it was a, just a picture of an old man. And there was no, like, number to call or money involved. It was just, it was 
just that. Maybe, maybe no wonder people from Toledo are so weird. Yeah, we're messed up. But I'm Carlos Summer. It was like and an alien I'm, experiment. I'm here to explain that. Yeah, and it was just this weird. Here's the picture of the guy that was on on the TV. Ew, it's that old man. Didn't it sound like a pedophile ring or something? He was describing. I don't know. It like was, Nambla or something. Well, back Love then, love your neighbors, your children. I think he was just trying to tell people, don't be a dick. That's really But if you weird. talk to any Toledoan, yeah. that's a thing that they and nobody grew else. up with. Did you ever look it up? And what's the, What was the deal? I'm looking it up right no, now. No, no, let's not do that. We're, this isn't the time for you it. You just told me to. Anyway, I'm Carlos Summer. Thank you for being here, loves. Um, Amy and I were just discussing what we'll call you as our, fa- our true fans. No, we weren't. Uh, we're going to call you jerks. She wants to call you jerks. I want to call you time heads. That's the worst uh, thing I've ever so heard. So tweet us at History for Jerks and tell us, do you like time heads better or jerks? <laughs> it's so stupid. <laughs> time heads. What it's up, so time heads? stupid. What up, time fucks? No. <laughs> what up, time fuckers? No. What if they're time fuckers? No, that's, no. Like Mark Marin calls his his listeners, what the fuckers? Because no, the show's called What the Fuck? Gonna, we're not going to copy. time fucks? Why would we time copy fuckers? it? Be copycatters. I have to give a shout out. There's a couple new people that we found out are listening. So we have All to right. get, say hello to them. Um, Lori Vance, the wife of uh, a guy who hates our podcast, who I work <laughs> with. Uh, he listened to once and was like, nope, not for me. <laughs> uh, he actually told me if I wasn't on it, he would like it. But uh, <laughs> but Lori, he said, my wife has listened to every one of your episodes. So Lori Vance, thank you for listening. You are a true discerner of talent. And- you are a true jerk. No, don't don't call her a jerk. No, you said we're going to call them jerks. No, you said that. I said she's a time head. That's so Anyway, we love Lori Vance. Uh, Shout out to Lori Vance. She loves FedEx. All right, what else? Uh, Also, uh, you told me somebody else was listening. Brenda Kane. A college college, uh, uh, associate. I wouldn't call him friend. Yeah, a friend? I wouldn't say friend. More like an associate. I held hands with them all. You did? one time. That's weird. It wasn't sexual. It was just friendship. (laughs) The sad thing is that that is true. Is? That's not of that's not uh, something you made up. That happened. Oh, that's oh yeah. We um, yeah, it was just a dare. It was like, hey, hold my hand under the stall. <laughs> so bizarre. <laughs> we were both going number two, and I was like, huh, all right. Well, and I think I did it just because I thought he thought I wouldn't. Oh my god, you too. So I held his hand just to prove to him that I would. Did when you held it, did you like caress it with your finger? Caress his hand with your finger a little no, bit? No, it was only like, you know, it was hard because it's under the stall. So he had to like reach, you had to reach did down. Did you have toilet paper in your hand while you were holding his hand? No. That would have been gross. No. And I think I just held it for like a second. I was like, oh, here you go, buddy. Like, <laughs> it's a great story. Like a half shake, just All a couple right. fingers. It's <laughs> a great anyway, story. Anyway, Brendan Kane lives in Kansas, uh, Kansas City, Kansas or somewhere around there. Kansas something. So if you live in Kansas, um, look him up, find out where he works, and tell everybody there that he held hands with a guy while pooping. <laughs> <laughs> yes, this All podcast right. stands for something. Quality. Quality. Quality in your homes. And now before too much more banter. Let's get into it. So we're tonight we're talking about 1964. Yeah, we only finished one month last episode. But we had to get a bunch of stuff out ahead of time, which we just did again. So What? We, Who is this? We have to go quicker is what I'm trying to say. You know, we can do whatever we want. I know, but 
I got it. We got to get to March. Our we got to get to my story. Our time heads want thoroughness. We're on February 1st. We'll get to March. All right. We're at February. Let's get moving. All right, time heads. Stop it. That's so dumb. <laughs> Saturday, February 1st, time heads in 1964. Swedish journalist. Hello? I a Swedish. I think there's a plural missing. Swedish journalists exhibited paintings done by a chimpanzee under the name Pierre Brassau. Have you ever heard of this? Mm-mm. Uh, the journalist was testing. Oh, I guess it was a Swedish journalist, not more than one. The journalist was testing whether critics could tell the difference between true avant-garde modern artwork and a chimp's work. That's pretty funny. Turns out they could not. Yeah, I bet not. And in fact, um, most of them praised the works. That's pretty funny. Was it like shit, mostly? It was a 1964 hoax. Because you know those chimps. This was perpetrated by Ak Dak Axelson, a journalist at the Swedish tabloid Gothenburg's Tidningen. <laughs> Perfect. Nailed it. It, was, it is Gothenburg's Tidningen. Yep, Tidningen. Everybody totally likes that. It. Everybody reads that. Mm-hmm. I'm going to pick up my copy of Gothenburg's Tidningen tomorrow. Axelson came up with the idea of exhibiting a series of paintings made by a non-human pr- primate under the pretense that they were the work of a previously unknown human French artist named Pierre Brasseau in order to test whether critics could tell the difference. Uh, uh, and Pierre Brasseau was Peter, a four-year-old common chimpanzee from Sweden's Boras Park Zoo. Axelson had persuaded Peter's 17-year-old keeper to give the chimpanzee a brush and a paint and some paint. Peter had created several paintings, and Axelson chose the best four and arranged to have them exhibited at the Galerie Christiane in Gothenburg, Sweden. While one critic observed that only an ape could have done this, most of them praised the works. Rolf Andelberg, Rolf Anderberg of the Goltzborg's Posten wrote, Brassau paints with powerful strokes, <laughs> but also with clear determination. His brush strokes twist with furious fastidiousness. Pierre is an artist who performs with the delicacy of a ballet dancer. After the hoax was revealed, Rolf Andelberg killed himself. Did he really? No. He insisted that oh. Peter's work was still the best painting in the exhibit. Even he did? Though, yeah. He said, Double down, still, huh? pretty good. Yeah, hell yeah, it was great. A private collector it's bought funny. one of the works for $90. And uh, it's probably worth a lot now. Yeah, equivalent to, it would have been $727 in 2018. In 1969, Peter was transferred to Chester Zoo in England. Poor thing. Yep, just and he has no idea that any of that happened. Zoos are wrong. All zoos are wrong. Yeah, I so think. Do you, are you, do you boycott zoos? I uh, yeah, I haven't been to zoo in years. My kids have gone. To, my mom takes the kids to hey, the Toledo Zoo. They're free to do what they want. Are you mad at my mom for taking the kids to the Toledo no. Zoo? So you, so, are you suggesting that we should just? Let all the zoo no, animals free. No, those are they're already tamed. You can't, but you you shouldn't. I don't think they should continue to just catch stop, wild animals. Just stop and, getting more and, and, and cage cage them up. Well, how are we going to look at them? Too tough shit. Look at a picture. 
How are children going to fall into the ape enclosure and then somebody yeah. shoot the ape? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how that's going to happen. We'll have yeah. to figure something out. We need out. that to keep happening. Yeah. All right. Let's move on because we got too political, I guess. Moveon.org. Saturday, February 1st, 1964, that same day, Yeah. Beatles, I Want to Hold Your Hand becomes the number one song on a Billboard chart. Written by John Lennon and Paul McCartney, recorded in October of 1963, it was the first Beatles record to be made using four-track equipment. The group's first American number one hit, entering the Billboard Hot 100 chart on 18th January, 1890. Does that even matter? That's probably all you got to say. No. It became the Beatles' first best-selling... I Want to Hold Your Hand became the Beatles' best-selling single worldwide, selling more than 12 million copies. Okay. That's probably all you got to say about that. In 2018, Billboard magazine named it the 48th biggest hit of all time. Oh, I should probably just play it, huh? The Beatles' I Want to Hold Your Hand, written by John Lennon and Paul McCartney, recorded in October of 63. It's a good one. It was the first Beatles record to be made using four-track equipment. This became the Beatles' best-selling single worldwide, selling more than 12 million copies. In 2018, Billboard magazine named it the 48th biggest hit of all time. Cool. This is a good song, isn't mm-hmm. it? Yeah. Beatles are amazing. Like that, Very little of the Beatles is not awesome. There's a few duds, but... The breadth of their work is amazing. Yeah, they really are a talented bunch. Mm-hmm. And if you don't like the Beatles, eh, there's something wrong with you. And then uh, Sunday, February 9th, 1964, mm-hmm. according to EdSullivan.com, we're going to obviously get into more Beatles here, the Beatles made their first live American television appearance Oh, yeah, everybody went Ed nuts. Ed Sullivan Show. And all the girls went nuts. Yeah, if you watch this on YouTube, it's like there's something wrong. Like, they have a disease. Like, it's maybe... The girls, you mean? Yeah, because they're... Oh, yeah, the girls or the Beatles? Which one are you talking the about? The girls. Yeah. Oh, and Ringo. Yeah. But, uh, and Ed Sullivan's a little weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, like, they're in a trance. Like, the Beatles have a magic power over them, and they're not that yeah. cool. Like, they're... Girls do that, though. I know that they still do that over like mm-hmm. Justin Bieber and stuff. They yeah. scream and cry. Like, what is it about a. I don't know. It's just it raw, be... raw passion for somebody. But. <laughs> but. But you're not even. But you really don't even like him that much. Like, even if. It's a fantasy. It's a fantasy. But even if you got the guy and they were dating him, you wouldn't. You'd be mad at him for leaving his underwear around in 10 days. It's just the fantasy, young girls, babe. But why? Like, I don't. I guess it's ingrained. We're not going to solve this tonight. You know. Here's my theory. I think it's ingrained in humans in order to keep the species going. Like there's something in women that make them act like that about guys. That might be. Did you ever see guys acting like that about girls? Like jumping up and screaming and crying when they see a girl? Instead, they just get a boner and go, All right. Can we move on? (laughs) You know what I mean? Like what? It's just a weird phenomenon. Do boys cry about anybody? No, they just go out and rape people. Yeah. Men are terrible. 
<laughs> you don't need us around, do you? Can't All right. You figure out how let's go. Let's move on. <laughs> We're not going to. The battle of the sexes isn't going to anyway, be won this evening. In the weeks leading up to the historic performance, the Beatles had already hit number one on the U.S. charts, and the anticipation surrounding their arrival from England had not been seen around the Ed Sullivan Show since Elvis Presley in 1956. Yep. When the Beatles landed at New York's JFK Airport. On February 7th, 1964, they were met by hordes of reporters and screaming fans. The Beatles would spend the next two days cooped up at the Plaza Hotel as fans posing as hotel guests tried to sneak in and catch a glimpse of the band. CBS was flooded with requests for tickets. Are you all right over there? Even Walter Cronkite and Richard Nixon called in to try and score tickets for their daughters to that week's Ed Sullivan show. Yep. Ed actually had to announce during the prior week's show that he had syphilis. No, you're, now you're starting to make some <laughs> shit up. Ed actually had to announce during the prior week's show, coincidentally, if anyone has a ticket for the Beatles on our show next Sunday, could I please borrow it? <laughs> we need it very badly. <laughs> and that's our show. Doesn't that sound like it's all? Not at all. At 8 o'clock on February 9th, 1964, People call me Rich Little, too, you know. Nobody, no. Anyway, at that time, it's untrue. 73 million people gathered in front of their TV sets because children that are listening, there wasn't a such thing as a DVR. Um, well, kids already don't know what that is anymore. There wasn't such a thing as YouTube TV. You couldn't just watch whatever you wanted whenever it was on. So you had to gather in front of your television, and they gathered... Not to watch the Beatles' first live performance on U.S. soil. Right. They were performing on a pile of soil. That evening, 60% of the televisions turned on were tuned into the Beatles on Ed Sullivan. Yes. Yeah, I should have looked up what was on. No, you shouldn't have. This. You shouldn't have. The Beatles' performance on Ed Sullivan was unforgettable. They opened with All My Loving to the screeches from teenage girls in the audience. The Beatles then followed that hit with Paul McCartney singing Till There Was You before wrapping up the first set with She Loves You. The hour-long Ed Sullivan Show broadcast concluded with the Beatles singing two more of their hits, I Saw Her Standing There and I Want to Hold Your Hand. And nobody heard any of it because women were girl, screaming. Girl, girls were screaming. That's right. It should be remembered that just 77 days prior to the Beatles' appearance on Sullivan, President John F. Kennedy had been assassinated. How, how much prior? 77 days. Okay. By now, the country was ready for some much-needed diversion. Yeah. And it came in the form of these four young strapping beautiful Yeah, if they would have hit if they would have hit earlier than that Liverpool they never might have never made it made it big. Like if they would have tried to hit right after that happened. Because everyone's so sad. Yeah. Maybe. You never know. Anyway, this date has become one of the most important moments in television history. And nearly fifty years later, people still remember exactly where they were. The night the Beatles we should ask on the Ed Sullivan your show. mom and my mom of that. Do you question? remember where you were? Oh, shut up. <laughs> You're real funny. You were, you were in divorce proceedings from your first marriage, I think. Yeah, um, I'm about ready to be in divorce proceedings in my second marriage. Oh, boom. Boom, dropping the hammer. Yep. Billy Graham, after watching the Beatles on the Ed Sullivan show, said that the Beatles were a passing phase. And symptoms of the he's always been right. Symptoms of the Billy uncertainty Graham. of the times and the confusion about us. Never been wrong. Oh, the confusion about us. Yeah. Never been wrong. That Billy Graham. Yeah, he's got one it. to trust. Nailed. Yep. Billy Graham Library is the most 
uh, important thing in Charlotte. Apparently, that's what it says at the airport. That's the most visited attraction of Charlotte. That's really sad. And then Friday, March, oh, what's your date? March 14th. Oh. March 13th. Sorry. Friday, March 13th. Yes. Yes. I understand you have some. Some info to throw down. I do. Was I in March? I was in February, yeah. Yeah, I don't have anything else left from February, so that brings us to March of 1964. And I understand yes. you are going to drop some knowledge on a brother. I've got some items to share here. You do? Yep. Um, so I'm going to go back a little bit first. Go back a little <clears throat> bit? Yeah, I just want to tell you about Catherine Susan Kitty Genovese. She was born in Brooklyn, New York on July 7th, 1935. You mean... She was born the same day that the Dalai Lama was born? Yes. Maybe she is a Dalai Lama. All right. So she was born um, the oldest of five children. She was a graduate of Prospect Heights High School, and she was remembered as a very good student and voted class cut up in her senior year. In Brooklyn? Yeah. Prospect Heights High School? Yep. The home of the Badgers? Probably. Um, so she graduated in 1953, and right, right after okay. that, her mother s- witnessed a murder on the streets. Her mother did? Yeah. In Brooklyn? In Brooklyn? No. It, yes, in Brooklyn, and that oh, motivated the family to move to New Canaan, Connecticut. Oh, because of the murder. Yeah. Now let's get away from all the murders. Yes. But Kitty decided to remain in New York City. Okay. And she worked, Without her mom? Yes. And she, well, she was how old at this point? Twenty-five. Yeah, and she worked as she was at a, as a secretary at an insurance company, and worked nights at Ev's Eleventh Hour, a bar in the Hollis neighborhood of Queens. Oh, Hollis, Queens. Run DMC is from there. So then she moved to Queens because she was working there. But this is before Run DMC was big. I would say. So, um, ten years late. Ten years go by. Okay. And she meets her lesbian girlfriend, Mary Ann Zilienko. Now, why can't she be a girlfriend first well, and then a lesbian later? Yeah, they could both. That could happen, Her too. friend who happens to be a lesbian. Well, they're girlfriends. Oh, they're both lesbians. Yeah, they're girlfriends. Oh, I thought just her lover was a lesbian. That's why I said it like that. Oh, in a Greenwich lovers. Village nightclub they met. And wow, you don't hear about lesbians in the 60s too much. I know, much. not too much. And oh, then what, they were the, found what were their... Uh, were the stereotypes the same? Did they? I don't know. Listen to uh, uh, Indigo Girls. I don't no. think that's going to happen in nineteen sixty four. Okay, so um, I like lesbians. They, they actually de- identify more with lesbians than I do pretty much anyone else. They found a second floor apartment together in Kew Gardens in Queens, and it was considered a safe, peaceful area to live. Kew Gardens, like yeah. the letter Q. K E W. Oh, is that how, okay? Kew Gardens. Let's. Uh, do a little research now, what are you on doing? gardens. Well, we just want to know. I want to get a feel for what we're talking about. Oh, uh, it's a Royal Botanical Garden. QQ. What? Uh, it's a botanic garden in southwest London. Oh. That's in London. No. This is an, oh, an, a neighborhood in Queens. Oh, it's, maybe it's named after something. Oh, here it is. Q Gardens, Queens. Yeah, it's a neighborhood in the central area of the New York City borough of Queens. You're you're right. Checks out. Great. It's shaped roughly like a triangle. Okay. Okay. So, <laughs> like a like a 
Bermuda Triangle? No, like a pink triangle because they're lesbians. That's, That's where the pink triangle might have came from. These guys might have introduced it. It could have. Okay, Man, so we're covering light. We're covering things. On March thirteenth, nineteen sixty-four. Oh, you mean the same day that Bob Hope presents the Chrysler Theater was on with white snow, red ice. White snow, red ice. What the hell is that? He presented that. Uh, white snow, red ice is. Um, you never heard of that? No. <laughs> and I'm, I, it looks like you haven't uh, either. Walter Matthau. It's uh, it's an adventure comedy, crime comedy, with starring Jack Kelly, Walter Matthau. Oh, so Santa the Bob Burger. Hope thing, was it just him introducing a, like a made-for-TV movie? I, yeah. An American skier is approached by a beautiful girl while shooting movie scenes in Yugoslavia. She yeah, nobody cares what it was about. At the same time, he's met by an oily KGB agent there to make a trade. All right. So, But Bob Hope presented it, so he probably gave like an intro to yeah, it. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. All right. 2.30 a.m. That, that morning. Oh, well, that wasn't on at 2.30. Let me see what was on at 2.30. No, let's not. Oh, TV so, wasn't on. Remember they had the flag? That's and, right, in the snow. So when she, she was walking home, yeah, when she was approached by a man with a knife. Oh no! And, and this was late two thirty. Two thirty in the morning. She worked third shift. So she shift. ran toward her apartment building's front door, and the man grabbed her and stabbed her while she screamed. Ah, that probably hurt. A neighbor, Robert Moser, yelled out of his window, "Let that girl alone!" Causing the attacker to flee. Oh, I didn't know that could save an attacker. So a, a she's very seriously injured. Yes, and she's crawling to the rear of her apartment building. Oh no! And so Robert Moser obviously goes out and helps. And and she gets out of view of any possible witnesses that are outside at this point. Okay. Because as she was running up, there was all these apartments. It was like on a street with filled with apartment buildings. Okay, in Queens. So when she was first stabbed, there was tons of windows. If you've ever been to New York City, that's every block. Right, but then. She crawls around to the outside, the back of the building, so that she's out of she sight stabbed? of witnesses. Was she stabbed in the? She bleeding? She's bleeding yes. Everywhere? She's very seriously injured. Yes. She's crawling. So then, ten minutes later, her attacker returns, oh, stabs no. her again, oh. rapes her, and steals her money. Jeez. Yep. That's not very nice. She was found by a neighbor named Do Sophia to- Ferrar, oh. who screamed for someone to call the police. So the police wait, arrived wait, several wait, minutes wait, later. Wait, 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 wait. She was found after the raping and the yes. extra stabs? By a neighbor. Okay. So the police arrived several minutes later. She died in the ambulance on the way to the hospital. Okay. The murder was, there was a little brief news story in the New York Times about it. That's it? Yep. Then, um, the at 4 a.m. Yeah. that night. The police knocked on the apartment door and informed Zilienko about the stabbing and Genovese's death. Zilienko was their girlfriend. Oh, they so the police let her know, hey, sorry. About 4 a.m. Uh, then at 7 a.m., Detective Mitchell Sang arrived to question Zilienko, who was being consoled with liquor by this neighbor, Carl Ross. So the neighbor's over there giving her all this liquor. To make her feel better, because she's probably hysterical. And he... And, um, the detectives there questioning her and he found her in he, um he found ross the the neighbor in being very intrusive the detective did and yeah and and ended up arresting him for disorderly conduct because he was what the neighbor was being real 
dramatic and intrusive and I don't know what that means. What do you mean? I don't know. That's just what it said. <laughs> what does that mean? Like what do you suppose that means? He was being intrusive to the questioning. So they were trying to question her and he wouldn't stop butting in. And he wouldn't stop butting in. And he wouldn't leave. So do you think So they arrested him. Do you think uh like do you think he was trying to obstruct justice? Well, um the detective also knew that Genevieve's body was discovered lying at the bottom of the stairs leading to Ross's apartment. Really? Yeah. So he has something to do with this, maybe. So later, homicide detectives John Carroll and Jerry Burns arrive, and they grilled Zilienko on her relationship with Genevieve. And the questioning yeah. was very inappropriate, and it focused on their sex life. So and, he might have done it. They and, think he's the murderer? And lasted for six hours. So they, this poor girl is yeah. grilled for six hours about her lesbian sex uh, life. Oh, oh, her, not Clark. No, yeah, not her. Not the guy. Her. Oh, they're yelling. Oh, yeah, because this wasn't accepted then. Right. So, so she probably was in the closet. She probably didn't tell him the truth, right? No, she did. She did? Mm-hmm. And the, a lot of the police questioning of neighbors revealed a preoccupation with the gay lifestyle. So they were they were asking the neighbors stuff about them being lesbians and yeah, stuff. Yeah, so the neighbors probably all... And they thought she was maybe a suspect, that the, the girlfriend was... Well, I mean, it's always the lover is always a suspect. So later that week... Police got a call about a suspected robbery. When they showed up, they found a TV in the trunk of a suspect's car. And the man's name was Winston Mosley. He was arrested and taken to the station where he confessed to stealing appliances a bunch of times. Well, that's not as bad as murder. He drove a white Corvair, and that struck the detective who remembered that some witnesses to the Genovese murder had reported seeing a white car. Really? This was mentioned to Mosley, and he he just sat there and said nothing. He didn't say anything about it. Right. This was the same week that Paul Hornig and Alex Karras were reinstated in the NFL after a one-year suspension. Oh, okay. That's good. So the, <laughs> this detective speak. calls in yeah. the other detectives. Okay. They notice scabs on Mosley's hands. Uh-oh. And they accuse him of killing Genovese. Yeah, so they think, so this neighbor guy did it. That's so, why he was... No, this isn't the neighbor guy. Wait. This, oh, is, this the is the guy that stole the TV. This is the guy that stole the TV, sorry. Yeah. What was the neighbor guy's name? What was Carl the, Ross. Oh, Ross, mostly Ross. So this guy that stole the appliances. Yes. So then he goes, he confesses. And he confirms... To murdering and raping that girl? Yeah. Oh. And he confirms it. And, and he someone who did it? And he confirms with information that only the killer would know. He does what? He confirms oh, their confirms. system. I thought, you said yeah. con- I thought you said confarbs, and I don't know what that means. No, I didn't say that, confarbs. That's not a word. Is confarb a word? No. Oh, that's what I thought you said. So he says that he had spotted her at a traffic light while he sat in his parked car, yeah. and then he followed her home. He had been driving around Queens looking for a victim, but gave no motive for the attack when he was... Um, he just felt like killing yeah. somebody. He was married with three children and had no prior record. What? Yeah. So he just snapped? I guess. He just snapped. But then later interrogations would have him confess to several other rapes and two other murders. Oh, he must have really snapped time heads. Those of Andy Mae Johnson and Barbara Kralik. Mosley was sentenced Barbara to... Barbara Kralik was murdered? Yep. Ah, oh, crap. Mosley was sentenced to death on June 15th, 1964, and that was reduced to a life sentence in 1967. Wait a minute. June 15th, 1964? I mean, he was... Sentence the same day on uh, 
Monday, the same day that Vacation Playhouse was on? Vacation Playhouse? <laughs> yeah. What is that? Vacation Playhouse was a TV series from 1963 to 1967 where it was a summer replacement show featuring pilot programs that had not been sold. Yes. That would be awful. Pilot programs that weren't sold. So these were too crappy to take on as a regular show, and we're going to play them all? Okay, so... I've Got a Secret was on, the 12th anniversary show. How about that? Okay. Um, He was sentenced to death on June 15th, 1964, and it was reduced to a life sentence in 1967. Oh. He would later claim that a mobster executed Genovese, and he was only the getaway driver. Wow, he's, he's he came up with that. He had all that time in prison, and that's the best he could do. Now, but this murder is more famous for something else. I know. Right? I'm getting there. Oh, okay. So his son had stated that he believes Mosley attacked Genovese because she yelled so- racial slurs at him, which there's no evidence of that at all. Okay. He died. Mosley died in jail on March 28, 2016, at, as at 81 years old. Now, oh. well, now see, these are all dates you could have given me. What? What date was that? March 28th, 2016. It's 2016. Then we can just suddenly jump in the current day for a little bit. Uh, March 28th. Jump in our time machine? In our American time machine. March 28th, 2016. RuPaul's Drag Race was on. Love that. Uh, So was College Softball. was on ESPN. (laughs) Okay. Also... uh, Hey, WWE Monday Night Raw was on. Also, Teen Mom 2 was on. Mm-hmm. Okay, we and get the point. Could I Live There was on the Travel Channel. I have another date that I forgot to oh, give okay. you, too. On March 27th, 1964, Yeah. the New York Times decides to run this big article called 37 Who Saw Murder Didn't Call the Police. And oh, yeah? this alleged that multiple neighbors heard... Or witness Genevieve's murder, but did not did nothing to help her. Well, at that same time this was published, Price is Right was on in prime time at nine thirty p.m. On that would ABC. be weird to have and, it on at prime time. And Bob Hope presents the Chrysler Theater was on again, and Burke's Law was on. I, I'm not surprised. I don't know that more about that. Do you remember Burke's Law? No. So Gene Barry and Gary Conway. And Regis Toomey. I don't know any of those people. <laughs> so this report prompted by was prompted by a conversation between the Times editor and a police the police commissioner. Okay. During which the commissioner made the claim that it was the basis for the article. He he said that. He said there was forty people. Thirty seven. Thirty seven people, people watching and, and nobody, nobody helped. helped. The newspaper. But it was at three in the morning. Well, the newspaper followed it up the next day with an analysis speaking to several experts on the psychology of why people would choose not to get involved. Okay. Later in the year, Rosenthal adapted this information into a book called 38 Witnesses, the Kitty Genovese Case. The New York Times coverage has been criticized for numerous factual errors and accused of contriving a social phenomenon for sensationalistic purposes. So this phenomenon, it, the psychologist called it the bystander effect, or Genevieve syndrome. Yeah. And it attempts to explain why someone witnessing a crime would not help the victim. These two psychologists... Well, nowadays, everybody just gets their phone out and videos it. Yep. There's two psychologists, Bib Latane and John Darley. Bib Latane and John Darley, yeah. They made their careers studying the bystander effect and have shown in clinical experiments that witnesses are less likely to help a crime victim if, they are, if there are other witnesses. 
The more witnesses, really? the less likely any one person will intervene. That's weird. That was used by the press as a parable of a morally bankrupt modern society losing its compassion for others, yeah, particularly right. in big cities. Sounds about right. It was kind of demonizing li- big cities. I don't think anybody in a small city would do anything different. D- decades following the murder. Maybe they would. I don't know. Then yeah. decades later, a journalistic movement began to correct a bunch of misinformation Ooh. perpetrated by the New York Times stories in oh. the past. And in 2004, journalist Jim Rasenberger wrote an article for the Times debunking the claims of the 1964 report. A 2007 article in American Psychologist uh, further deflates the claims. And then in oh, 2007 when Adrian Peterson was drafted by the Minnesota Vikings? Mm-hmm. Um, in 2015... Uh, Genevieve's younger brother, Bill, produced and narrated the documentary, The Witness, which Bill. I saw, which was really good, which lays out the case against the Times reporting in, in strong terms. It, it basically said that the Times made that all up and that really there was only, um, well, and I'll get to what really happened. Well, 2007 is the year that Nancy Pelosi became the first Speaker of the House. Okay. We're, we passed 2007 a long time ago. Oh, right? where are you at now? So, so Bill Cower resigned. Only two neighbors... <laughs> have been shown to behave at the time of the murder the way the Times claimed 38 people did. Okay. One of the those one crazy guy. was Carl Ross. Carl Ross was yes. arrested. He was drunk that night. Well. And he heard uh, noises out in the hallway. Well, murder noises, And right? he sat, he hemmed and hawed, and he didn't know what to do, and he finally cracked the door, and he saw Genevieve's laying on the ground she was still alive and she was attempting to speak and mosley was stabbing her and he's and he opened the door and he, he cracked the door and he saw that oh no and she sees him she like is looking at him and trying to say something to him like help me yes i'm being stabbed so he shuts the door and calls his a friend to ask what to do what and the friend says oh they didn't have 911 no the friend says don't get involved so he doesn't and so he actually Eventually, he climbed out of... Now, if he had a gun, he could have solved it. Oh, don't even start. He'd have more guns. He eventually climbed out of his window. He'd have more ar Listen. Sorry. So he eventually climbed out of his window into a neighbor's apartment. To get away? Yeah. Oh, no. And he called the police only after he heard the other neighbor, Sophia Verar, call for someone to do so. Like when she went out and she found her and said, yeah. somebody call the police, that's that's when he finally called the police. Oh, man. And he said, I didn't want to get involved. And that became this famous um, t- like catchphrase for the bystander effect. Oh, yeah. But oh. the murder of Kitty Genovese is credited as one of the factors that pushed the emergency 911 system into place. Really? After New York City well, officials joined in a national effort involving officials in other cities. And it, that became the national emergency number in 1968. And when did it become a joke? What are you talking about? 911 is a joke. Reno 911. You know, because 911, that's Flavor Flav. Like when black people call it, it oh, doesn't help. I see. But it helps only white. It's only for white people. I didn't know that. Yeah. You never heard 911 is a joke? No. Uh, public Enemy? Nope. Well, that was. That was interesting. That I mean, a lot. Of, yeah, cool. That's great. So it, it's not true that a forty people watched no. it and didn't do anything. I mean, there were people that heard. I think there were people that like heard something going on out there, but they didn't actually get up and go look out the window. On March twenty first, nineteen sixty four, <laughs> we got a new number one song. Yep. 
You ever heard of this? Yeah. This is the Beatles. I'm aware of that, hi. This is written by John Lennon and Paul McCartney and recorded by English rock group The Beatles. The single set and surpassed several sales records of the United Kingdom charts and set a record in the United States as one of the five Beatles songs that held the top five positions in the charts simultaneously on April 4th, 1964. It is their best-selling single and the best-selling single of the 1960s in the UK. Of the whole 60s? Yeah. Wow. In November 2004, Rolling Stone ranked She Loves You number 64 on their list of the 500 greatest songs of all time. What was number one, I wonder? In August 2009, at the end of its Beatles, I think it was Biz Marquee, Just a Friend. (laughs) Um... All right, what else? Can we also, move on? Also, in Canada, did you know that, wait, in Canada, the song was included on the album Twist and Child, and yes, it was the final song of the Beatles' second album. Who cares? Uh, Lennon and McCartney started composing She Loves You on the 26th of June of 63 after a concert at the Majestic Ballroom in Newcastle upon Tyne during their tour with Roy Orbison and Jerry and the Pacemakers. They began writing the song on the tour bus and continued later that night at the hotel in Newcastle, eventually completing the following day at McCartney's family home in Forthland Road, Liverpool. Hmm. In 2000, McCartney said the initial idea for the song began with Bobby Rydell's hit Forget Him with its call and response pattern and that as often happens you think of one song then you write another. I planned an answering song where a couple of us would sing She Loves You and the other ones would answer Yeah, Yeah. We decided that was a crummy idea but at least we then had the idea for a song called She Loves You. So we sat in the hotel bedroom for a few hours and wrote it. John and I sitting on twin beds with guitars like many early Beatles songs the title of She Loves You was framed around the use of personal pronouns. But unusually for a love song, the lyrics are not about the narrator's love for someone else. Instead, the narrator functions as a helpful go-between for estranged lovers. Oh, right. But talking about the Beatles and this thing, do you know recently a record was broken by the Beatles? Mm -hmm. Uh, Not since the Beatles has there ever been one artist with five songs Mm -hmm. in the top uh 10 or something oh. of the Billboard charts. Mm-hmm. Five songs in the top 10. Wow. Uh, and somebody just recently broke that. Do you know who it is? Bismarcky? No. Mm. He doesn't do, it. <laughs> he doesn't do <laughs> new music anymore. <laughs> well, <laughs> you just suggested that he was number one of all time. He so. probably was. Just a Friend is a great song. All right. So what's I next? So I took blah blah's word for it at this time. I thought just having a friend couldn't be no crime. Okay. We're done. Because I have friends and that's a fact. Okay. It's Ariana Grande. Oh, okay. She had five songs Jeez. in the Billboard Top 10. Five. That's nuts. All at once. I don't think I could name one. Maybe it was in top. Maybe it was five on the top five i can't remember it was all her man i want it i got it i got it i want it i want it i got it i got it i want it yeah that's beatles and her i can see those two same neck thing. and neck pretty same much thing. same thing same thing now that you're singing it i got it i want it i want it i got it all i right. got it we're done with that <laughs> that's one of her songs i kill myself She's basically rap. She's basically singing about that she can have whatever she wants because she's got a bunch of money. All right, can we move on? 
It has nothing to do with 1964, babe. It does. Ariana Grande broke the Beatles record. Tuesday, March 24, 1964, Steven Spielberg directed his first feature film. Did you know that? The 60s. Really? Fireflight. Never heard of it. It was released at his local cinema. Oh. It was shot on a budget of $500 and took $500, $501 at the box office, giving the film an official profit of $1. That's funny. $1? $1. Fireflight <laughs> is a 1964 science fiction adventure film written and directed by Steven Spielberg at the age of 17. Jeez. Uh, it was his... Uh, I counted the receipts that night, he said, uh, and we changed. We charged a dollar a ticket. 500 people came to the movie, and I think somebody probably paid $2 because we made $1 profit that night, and that was it. That's funny. And then we'll, that brings us to April. Are you okay? I have Gross. A, sorry, I have the hiccups. Oh, <laughs> you're just full of pleasant <laughs> things right now. Yeah, you are. Uh, fuck you, time heads. Just no, kidding, You time need to heads. stop that. That's awful. Time heads, I'm glad That's you listened. That's so man. bad. What? Saying fuck you to the time heads? I'm sorry, time heads. I didn't mean that. Quit saying time heads. That's so dumb. Okay, jerks. Is that better? Jerk heads. A little better. Time head sounds cool. American time heads. No, that's the worst thing I've ever heard. And I've heard you blather on for years. How about AT partiers? That's the worst idea you've ever had. AT partiers. Okay. Like American time lines, AT. We got to get out of here, Chuck Berry. Yo, this is the AT signing off. American time lines, yo. Somebody kill me. What up? American timers. Timeliners. That's it. That's all we got. Amy's done. She's sick of me. We're getting a divorce now. Screw you, Brennan Kane. American Timelines is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Find out more at QueenCityPodcastNetwork.com. America, America, Timeline. Timeline. Timeline.